Let's say a word of prayer. God, you are good. We thank you. We praise you. We ask that you would be here among us, recognizing that you are living within us. We, Lord, we ask for that extra measure of your spirit that we would indeed take to, to heart your word, that we would have understanding, that we would comprehend all that you've given us to know. And we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week... We looked at chapter 3 of Acts, and, and we saw a man healed from his infirmity. I want us to consider something today. What was it about? What Was that physical healing about giving him strong ankles and, and letting him now walk? Or was there more to it? If we look at uh, chapter 3, verse 16, it says, And his name. This is the name of Jesus. This is after the healing and everything. Peter's preaching. He says, and his name, Jesus, by faith in his name, has made this strong, man strong, whom you see and know. The faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. It's more than just a physical healing. It's more than just a physical miracle that God has put on display in this man. It's not about a mere physical disability and its healing. It was about the man's spiritual need being met in Jesus Christ. The physical healing gave him a testimony, which became an even greater outlet for the gospel onto everybody around him at that point, to be poured out upon them, remember? There was far more going on here than mending broken bones. As, as in both word and deed, the gospel was expressed at that moment. The gospel was proclaimed. There is a spiritual war being played out on this earth as Satan rails against the things of God. As he fights against the gospel message, that good news of salvation in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone that is to be spread to the ends of the earth through his church. And it's not the stuff of science fiction or fantasy. We, we get very easily tied up in the things we can touch and feel and we forget that there is a spiritual realm that exists There's a very real, constant battle being fought against the church that we must be aware of. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Did you hear that? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is where the war is being waged all around us, here amongst us, in the community, in our culture. But God has not left us helpless in this war. He's given us tools. 
He's given us weapons to use if we would only take them up and, and let ourselves be used by God. In this war, he's given us his spirit. He has given us the word of truth, and he's given us prayer that we might be able to wage war against the devil and his schemes, against that spiritual realm that tries to suppress and crush the church of God and that gospel kingdom message. Go ahead and open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Acts chapter 4. Starting at verse 1. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was per- a sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. 
When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The reading of God's word. Thank you very much. Go ahead and be seated. What is happening in this passage? It is, it is full-blown war being waged for people's hearts, minds, and souls. In this passage, we see two camps, two philosophies, two groups that are fighting against one another. And the truth of the gospel is what divides them. The, the gospel message is at the center of it all. When it is preached with conviction and clarity, we begin to see what happens. Some of them respond with belief and agreement. In verse 4 we see, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. But others respond with frustration, disagreement, and and outright hatred and spite. Uh, Verses 1 through 3, it says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was evening. There's the camp of the Lord. And there's the camp of those who serve the things of this world. There is the work of God's Spirit through His church, and there is the work of Satan and the flesh and the world. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 expresses this idea to us that there's a spirit in this world at work to this day. It says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The war is out there. And those who despise Jesus Christ, the the sons of disobedience, as Ephesians calls them, they they react here. Verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? They surround them. They bring them to a, to a place and they surround them. It's not a a friendly situation. It's very reminiscent of the trial of Jesus Christ 
They, they gathered together to crush it. Let's crush it now. Let's, let's bear upon them all the social pressure that we possibly can. The rulers, elders, scribes, Annas, the high priest, the entire high priestly family, no one was at the shore this day. They gathered together, powerful men, bringing to bear all their worldly strength. Reminiscent of the trial of Jesus, these men could kill them. They could have them killed at any moment. Have you ever felt the social pressure to keep your faith, to keep the name of Jesus quiet, to hold it back? As Christians, how did you feel? Having this faith burning inside of you with all that pressure upon you, did you feel alone? I know that feeling too, that pressure to not say anything. But have we ever been alone? Have we ever been alone in our faith? As as Christians, we need to remember that when we stand for God, we never stand alone. Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and people uh, and, and the elders, if we are being examined today, Peter is filled here with the Spirit of God. It's his first line of defense in this war. The first of three weapons given us in our mission to fill the gap. To preach the word of God in season and out of season to everyone we know. To, in our community, to be that light. The Spirit is our helper in this. John 14, Jesus speaking to the disciples says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, not occasionally, forever. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Spirit of God will strengthen us. He will intercede on our behalf. He will empower us to accomplish all that God has set for us to accomplish. He will enable us to do what people never imagined or never thought that we could do. Verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. They recognized they had been with Jesus. The Spirit of God filled them up. And we could say, well, I've never experienced that. How, how do I know this, this is going to happen? We always want proof, don't we? Confidence. We want to put out the fleece and say, okay, God, if, if it's wet, then, then I'll, I'll do what you say. We always want that before we enter the fray, before we put ourselves out there. But did you notice that Peter did not ask for the Holy Spirit before he went into this? He did not receive this filling of the Holy Spirit until he stepped out and stepped onto the front line. He wasn't even filled when he was arrested. This extra measure of God's filling came only when he needed it, 
when he was right there surrounded with all that pressure upon him to just be quiet. The Spirit isn't a weapon to be wielded by us. It's not something we ask God for and all of a sudden we go around wielding the Holy Spirit. But he is given to us by God when we stand on the front line of this battle. We do not use God, but we are used by God through his Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the first part of it, Jesus talking to his disciples, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. We are here by God's Spirit to do his work, and he will empower us to that end. He says, I will use you to accomplish my will through my spirit. Are we willing tools? Are we ready to be filled with his Holy Spirit? Peter already had the spirit living inside of him, the seal of his salvation. And yet here he is filled with the Holy Spirit. There's something special that the Lord will do for us if we are willing to stand in the gap and proclaim the truth regardless of its earthly consequences. He will not leave us defenseless. He will not, he, he will not leave you alone. He will give you of himself. You are guarded by God Almighty as soon as you step onto the front line of the battle. I can't promise you that there won't be any earthly consequences. Eventually, as we go on into chapter 5, we'll see that the disciples were beaten because the world wants this message to stop. If you're a little bit queasy, don't read Fox's Book of Martyrs because horrible things happen to these men for standing for the gospel. But I can tell you that the Lord will not leave you or forsake you, for this is a promise from his word, that nothing can separate you from his love, for this is a promise from his word. I can tell you that whatever this world has to offer, it pales in comparison to paradise. As Paul says in the book of Philippians, to live, uh, to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, having been empowered by the Spirit of God, Peter pulls out the second weapon in this battle, and it's the truth of God's Word. Peter starts talking to them in verse 9. He says, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, to all people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the word of God. This is the truth of the gospel that Peter just lays out there. And because it is God's word, because it is God's workings, because it is God's activities, he can have complete and utter confidence in saying all of these things, no matter what they should say back to him. Because these are not the things of Peter. These are the things of God. Are we, as God's church, as God's people, are we prepared to use the word of God? Do we know it? 
Have you dug into it? Have you committed it to your heart and to your mind? We need to remember that in John 14, 26, that passage I read a moment ago, that God's Spirit will bring to remembrance all the things that he had told them, that they had heard, that they had listened to. Are we listening? Are we grabbing this up and and hearing from God on a regular basis? Back in Acts chapter 1, we discussed being confident in our knowledge of the gospel kingdom message. We saw how the early church was just committed to studying the word of God and applying it to the church and to themselves. Since we discussed that in Acts chapter 1, have we done anything with it? Are we finding ways to get into scripture? Bible studies with others? Bible school on Sunday mornings, private devotional study at home alone in your prayer closet, Bible training center on Thursday nights, taking it seriously as a a part of our lives and not just a religious duty. Yeah, I've gone to Sunday school. Okay, I did, did what I need to do for the week. And if, if we're doing those things, great. That's terrific. There's, there's no need to feel guilty over something that you're already doing. Please don't go there. But if not, if we don't spend time in God's word, what will we have in our arsenal for God to recall to our minds when we need it? What do you have in your toolbox When you're put in a situation, when you're surrounded by those social pressures, what do you have at the ready to pull out and use, just like Peter did here? What answers do you have when someone asks, why does God allow evil in this world? When somebody says, how can God send someone to hell who hasn't heard the gospel? They're in the deepest, darkest heart of Africa. They've never heard the gospel. How can a good God possibly send them to hell? By what power, in what name do you do this? What answers do we have in our toolbox prepared for the Spirit to bring back to our minds? There are good, solid, biblical, logical answers to these questions, but are you ready? to answer them from God's word, not from our own minds. See, Peter here, he was loaded for bear. Verse 12 is one of the most magnificent verses in Scripture. There is salvation in no one else. Here he is standing in front of all the men in that world who could have killed him like that. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Boom! Take that. With his knowledge of God and his word, there was nothing this world could throw at him. There there was nothing in this world that Peter couldn't take down. God's word is a weapon. Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. But like any weapon... We need to be trained and prepared on how to use it. Or you might end up being that guy who who chucks a grenade and it winds up landing in the foxhole of the guy next to you. 
Oops, I'm sorry, I didn't know what that verse meant when I was using it. And he was your friend. How does, we got to know how to use God's word. We got to know it, get into it, dig into it, so it doesn't end up exploding on us. How does the world react here? Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And when they recognized that they had been with, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for we cannot deny it. They are cornered. There's nothing for them to say or do. The evidence is just piled up around them. It's it's overwhelming. The, The healing of the man born lame, that gospel message coming right out of Old Testament scripture. Peter even quotes right here for them. It's uh Psalm 118.22, that the cornerstone was rejected. The the stone that was rejected by them has become the cornerstone in that gospel message coming right out of the Old Testament. They, They see the empowerment of the Spirit in Peter and John. The resurrection of Jesus is proof upon proof that they cannot deny these things. And so here we come to the, the crux of this situation. Satan understands that he is cornered. That he will ev- eventually and ultimately not win. He will lose. But he will do everything in his power to take you down. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 calls him a mewing kitten, ready to be pet. No. He's a lion, and he's just crouched down behind the grass waiting for you to walk by, waiting for us as a church to let our guard down. Let's look at what we have so far in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, we discussed this some time ago. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, this, this message, this gospel message, you guys are going to carry it to the ends of the earth. Peter here preaches, there's salvation in no one else, no other name in heaven by which we must be saved. So what do the rulers say here? Verse 17. But in order that it, this message, this name of Jesus, may be spread no further among the people, Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. What what do they say here? It's a completely opposing agenda to what Jesus Christ has set forth for the church and for his disciples right there at the beginning of the Acts. In order that this, this gospel message may spread no further, let's command them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. In order that it may spread no further. Diametrically opposed to, to the ends of the earth. The spirit of this world wants the gospel message, the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ to stop right here and right now. 
And, and please don't begin to think that our adversary, the father of lies, the deceiver, is stupid or inept. See, they, they make one simple request here, don't they? They don't say, don't speak or teach at all. They say, if you just stop teaching in Jesus' name, nobody has to be hurt. Just simplify your message. Just be a little more tolerant of other religious points of view. Just coexist. This is what the world wants. Don't preach in Jesus' name. And too often, because Christians are not well enough armed with God's word and not prepared to stand on the front line for Christ, filled with his spirit, churches crumble before the social pressures that are brought down upon them. They become softened by the world. There is, I'll give you an example, there is a so-called church that claims to have Christian roots. Here's what they say on their own sanctioned website. We have roots in the Protestant Christian tradition, where the Bible is the sacred text. We now look to additional sources for religious and moral inspiration. In our tradition, Scripture is never the only word or the final word. Wow. Just don't preach in Jesus' name. That's all they want. Satan doesn't need us to close our doors. He wants us to do that. He wants us to soften our message, or, or he wants us to become legalistic, to lose the love of Christ so that people walk through the doors and go, oh, they're just about rules and laws and expectations. Or, or to become caught up in our own programmatic preferences. He wants us to step down from the absolute truth of the gospel message. And the question then becomes, who will we listen to? Verse 19, Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we, we at Alden Union cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Are are we prepared to be filled with the Spirit? to speak of our testimonies, all that we have seen, all that we have heard in our own lives and and in God's own word given to us? Are we prepared with God's word to withstand the world's desires for us just to soften up a little bit? And they'll hit you with the hardest questions they can so that you have to back off because, because I'm not quite ready for that one. They think they have you, but they never have God. There is one more weapon. Verses 23 through 30. What do they do in that, in that passage? It says, when they were released, they went to their friends, reported to the chief, what the chief priests had, and the elders had said to them. And, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servants, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage when people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servants 
servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness, with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered were shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They prayed together. Prayer is the third, probably the, one of the greatest weapons we have. As the disciples gather together, they lift their voices to God together. They pray to God the sovereign God, the only God, the living God who is both good and able. They pray through Scripture, recognizing how their circumstances fit in with God's plan. They pray for boldness and for the miraculous. When's the last time we prayed earnestly for God to do something great? Let's be praying for revival. For, for every person in this room to step out this week. Not a month from now, not a year from now, this week. In faith, to step onto that front line. They pray for boldness in the miraculous, in the name of Jesus. Dependent upon him, knowing that it is not we ourselves who, who go out and do these great things. It is God working through us. Let's remember to pray, to be dependent upon God because we have an immense privilege through the blood of Jesus Christ to approach his throne, the, the throne of God with boldness. When we pray, we come before the seat of God Almighty, the creator of the universe and everything in it, the ruler of all creation, the one who knows every single sparrow. And we say, oh, great God, who is holy, who is the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, sovereign of all creation. Yeah, we do say that, don't we? There, there, there are times to say that. But we also have the opportunity to come before the throne with boldness as we fall upon our knees and we say, Abba, Daddy, do we comprehend how big our daddy is? Do, you've been adopted. We have been adopted by an infinite, eternal father who watches over you. And he says, I've seen your bad day. I've seen your challenge and I've seen your trial. I've been there with you by my Holy Spirit living inside of you. I will strengthen you through my word. Go to it and I will work even this out for your good. So says the Lord Almighty. Are, are, are we prepared? Are you prepared to stand on the front line of the spiritual war that wages against God on this earth? Or are we prepared to fill the gap, to share that gospel message to the ends of the earth, to share our love for Jesus in our soil? because knowing apart from him what their ultimate end will be. Are we ready to be filled and strengthened by the Spirit 
as we step onto the front line? Are we trained and prepared to use the sword that is the word of God? Are we bolstered and emboldened in prayer to the Almighty Father? You have been saved on purpose. You have been redeemed, trials and all. And we have been given a mission to fill the gap, to serve the gospel. Let's step out. Let's, let's enter the bray. Let's enter the fight and not back down, no matter how much cultural, social pressure the world throws upon us. Let us no longer be timid, for we have not been, give, been given a spirit of timidity, but of power. Let's be bold for the gospel, that, that all these empty spaces would be filled with people who want to hear about a Savior who loves them just as much as he loves each and every one of us, that more people would then be reached, that there would be revival here in this place. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. We ask for revival. We ask for a spirit of boldness, just as your people lifted up their voices together. Lord, we pray to you, the God of all salvation, the only name through which We must be saved in heaven and on earth in all creation. There is but one Savior, and that is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Lord, we lay at your feet any heart that might be here that has not accepted Jesus, that has not accepted the absoluteness. Lord, we praise you that your salvation is available to anyone who would come before you and accept the free gift of salvation. And yet, Lord, there is only one way, and it is your way. For you are God, and you make the rules. And you have provided a beautiful, perfect salvation in your son. Help us to go into this world and boldly fight the battle, the spiritual war. Knowing your word, being ready to be filled with your spirit and in humble prayer to you. Pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.